tonight on NBC. Will everyone in the cardiac surgical department please raise your hands? Thank you. You're all fired. Based on an inspiring true story. Any department who places billing above care, you will be terminated. One doctor will break every rule. Just tell me what you need, what your patients need. To inspire a revolution. Let's get into some trouble. Let's be doctors again. From the network that brings you This Is Us, New Amsterdam, tonight on NBC. This podcast is brought to you by Simply Light. Introducing Simply Light Lemonade. Can you hear that? That's the sweet sound of 75% less sugar and calories. We want to make sure you hear it's 75% less sugar and calories because it tastes so good. From the podglomerate, you're listening to The Feast. I'm Dr. Laura Carlson, and I explore the history of food. From empires of sugar to lunch counter revolutions. Whether it's mom's home cooking or opulent Royal Hundred course dinners, food has fueled politics, technology, religion, and more. History is full of food. And on each episode of The Feast, we're bringing you the meals that made it. In honor of Halloween, here at The Feast, we thought we'd do something a little spooky for the season. And from thousands of years of history, there are more than a few haunted food stories to choose from. But today, I thought we'd do something medieval. A ghoulish tale from the Norse sagas. Now, these are stories that are over a thousand years old. Maybe more in some cases. These are the stories of medieval Iceland where we can hear about monsters and kings, warriors and shield maidens. These are stories that were told over campfires or on long boat journeys as people traveled the chilly northern Atlantic to their new home in Iceland from the mid-9th century onwards. Finally collected and written down in the 13th and 14th centuries, long after Iceland gave up its heathen ways and converted to Christianity. Nevertheless, you can still hear more than a hint of fairies or goblins, even a few pagan gods and goddesses in these stories. Even if they were written down by devout monks or priests in dusty monasteries somewhere in the frozen north. These stories, or sagas, weave fact with fiction. In one story, you can hear about the journeys of Leif Erikson, one of the first Europeans to accidentally stumble his way into North America. While in another, we hear about the reign of King Harald Fairhair, the legendary first king of Norway, who earned his name by refusing to cut his hair until the maiden Gidda agreed to marry him. Apparently, he had to wait ten long years before she said yes. But today, I don't want to tell you about kings or adventurers. Today, we're talking ghosts. Ghostly banquets, actually. Because, hey, this is the feast after all. Even for Halloween, we have to get a little food in there somewhere. Now, food in medieval Iceland was a constant concern. And if you've ever visited the island, you'll know that it can be a beautiful but desolate place. Full of hot springs, glaciers, even volcanoes, there's not much room for farmland. It's not a great place to grow wheat or corn or even barley. 
If anything grows in this rocky volcanic soil in chilly temperatures, it's hay. Which is great when you have cattle or sheep or pigs, which certainly medieval Icelanders did, brought over with them in the long boats from what is today Sweden or Norway or even northern Scotland. But that carb-heavy diet that much of the medieval world survived on thanks to the huge fields of wheat and oats and barley in France or England or even Germany, well, it just wasn't going to happen in Iceland. There was fish, of course, the massive great cod that Icelanders could exchange for anything that couldn't be grown on the island. And Icelanders were certainly a resourceful crew, developing a taste for local moss and seaweed. They would scavenge bird's eggs and the few local berries that grew on the island. They even made cheese from the milk of their livestock, as well as the now-famous skir, a kind of thick yogurt they put with just about everything. And they also discovered just how delicious seal meat could be. But let's not kid ourselves. It was a tough life out there in the northern Atlantic, where the winters were long and dark, lasting days on end, it seemed, right around the winter solstice. And to get ready for the winter, harvest time, right around now in October and November, was a pretty busy part of the year. Back in pagan days, the Anglo-Saxon writer Bede had called this time the blood month, when the livestock were taken to slaughter so their meat could be salted and cured to last the long cold winter with some of the choicest bits, of course, going to the various gods and goddesses to ensure a little divine goodwill through those lean months. And when we look to the sagas of medieval Iceland, you can tell how close those themes of food and death are intertwined. That as harvest time wound down, when the last of the fish had been caught for the season, or the last hay brought in for the cattle, there was nothing to do but wait and endure and hope you made it through another winter. Wait and see if you had preserved enough, conserved enough to see it through till spring. And with all that waiting, well, you're bound to think up a story or two. And who'd be surprised if, while you're thinking about all that food and death, that those are the themes that don't pop up in your stories, too. So that's the story I'm going to tell you today. Well, it's a saga, really, but let's just call it a story for now. And it tells us about something odd that happened the year that the Icelanders decided to make Christianity official. Even passed a law about it and everything. Now that very same year, sometime we think around the mid-11th century, so we're talking about a thousand years ago, a boat docked at one of the southern harbors of Iceland. Now, this wasn't uncommon. There were boats all the time, particularly in the summer full of folk from Ireland or the Hebrides in northern Scotland, even Norway. Now, this boat was the same, carrying the same kinds of passengers Icelanders were used to seeing. Except for one passenger. A woman. Thorguna, she was called. She had sailed, like most of the other people on the boat from the Hebrides. But Thorguna was a little different. She was a big woman to start. Tall, with narrow eyes and long chestnut-colored hair. And she spoke differently, too. Proudly. It may have been because of the clothes on her back. Unlike the plain homespun cloth of most of her shipmates, Thorguna arrived in Iceland with style, with a bright scarlet cloak that 
couldn't help attract the notice of pretty much everyone. But for the purposes of our tale, let's focus on one person who happened to notice that bright scarlet cloak. Thurid, the wife of a local farmer. Now Thurid, despite living down on the farm, loved clothes. And when she saw that cloak of Thorguna's as she climbed out of the longboat, she acted fast. You had to, in Iceland. Elegant women's clothing wasn't just something that fell out of the sky every day. And who knew when another boat, let alone another scarlet cloak like that, would ever arrive? But Thorguna wasn't interested in Thurid's money. She was keeping her cloak, no matter how much Thurid offered for it. But Thurid was a persistent woman, so she changed tack. She invited Thorguna to stay with her at her husband's farmhouse. It wasn't like there was a local B&B in medieval Iceland. And it was common to house visitors in local homes in exchange for a little work around the house. And Thorguna, despite her elegant clothing, wasn't afraid of work. Although people kept guessing she must have been in her 50s at least, she kept pace with anyone on the farm. She spent much of her days with the other women, weaving in the big, long house. But when she was needed, she gladly went out into the fields to help with the hay, turning it, drying it, eventually gathering it together into big bales to store for the winter. Thorguna soon became so known for her skill with the hay, she even had a special rake made for her, after she complained that the women's rakes were far too small for the likes of her. Now, drying hay is a tricky thing. It entirely depends on the weather. See, you need sun. A lot of sun. You lay the hay outside and basically hope no storm passes through on the day you've chosen. Now, this particular summer in Iceland had been horrible, with rain showers almost every day. But the autumn was beautiful. Warm with plenty of sunny days, perfect for drying hay. So on one of these beautiful autumn days, Thorguna and the rest of the farm were out in the fields, spreading out the freshly mown hay so it could dry in the sun before being baled and stored. Thorguna, along with Thurid and the other women of the household, moved along the hay with their rakes, working in a slow, steady rhythm turning the hay, making sure all sides could benefit from the sun. They had worked throughout the morning, but in the afternoon, things went wrong. In the middle of that blue Icelandic sky, a black storm cloud appeared, the darkest anyone could ever remember. A strong rain could ruin a day of raking and drying. The hay needed to be bundled as quickly as possible before the drops fell. Everyone else picked up their rakes, bundling the hay as fast as they could. But not Thorguna. She just kept raking and turning and raking and turning the hay, even as the others called for her to move indoors. And quickly, much more quickly than anyone expected, the storm unleashed over the farm. A hard rain doused the fields and Thorguna, who was still turning and raking the hay. Everyone watched from the safety of the barn and house while Thorguna, out in the fields, was caught in the middle of it. The rain fell so hard and so quickly, it was hard to see her out there, still turning and raking, turning and raking. But the cloudburst was short, maybe only a minute, maybe two, and as suddenly as it had started, it stopped. 
the cloud vanished, leaving behind a beautiful blue sky. And it was only then that the crowd stepped out from behind the barn to a field, soaked in blood. The storm had rained down not water, but buckets and buckets of blood. The hay was soaked in it. Thorguna was soaked in it. It was not, as they say, the best of omens. But despite its rather gruesome appearance, the blood dried surprisingly quickly on the hay that had been left outside when the storm had arrived. The hay that year might have a strange reddish hue, but it wasn't ruined, and their winter stores were safe. But something was wrong with Orguna. She just didn't seem herself. Although she stayed to help with the rest of the hay, even after the sudden strange shower, she looked pale, weaker than usual. And by nightfall, she went straight back to the farmhouse and to bed, unwilling to join in the traditional drinking and feasting that helped to toast the end of the haymaking season. Thorguna stayed in bed for the next several days, looking paler and weaker all the time. She knew the storm had been an evil omen, a sign of bad things to come. And now it seems she was wrapped up in it. She called Thurid's husband over and made him swear he would burn all her belongings after she had died. She was cursed now, she explained, and anyone who touched or used her clothes, her bedsheets, her jewelry, anything, well, they would be in danger of suffering the same curse. The farmer promised to do away with her belongings, and not long after, Thorguna died. This podcast is brought to you by Simply Light. Introducing Simply Light Lemonade. Can you hear that? That's the sweet sound of 75% less sugar and calories. We want to make sure you hear it's 75% less sugar and calories because it tastes so good. And true to his word, as soon as Thorguna was gone, the farmer built a large bonfire outside the home. He scooped up the bed sheets Thorguna had slept in, along with all of her elegant clothes and jewelry, and took them outside. And as he waited for the fire to grow large enough, his wife, Thurid, approached him demanding to know why he would ruin such finery. All the explanations in the world wouldn't convince his wife why he needed to burn Thorguna's possessions. To her, they were beautiful items, far lovelier than anything usually found on Iceland. What a waste to consign such clothing to the fire. After begging and pleading, she convinced him to only burn half of Thorguna's things, choosing to keep the nicest for herself. Meanwhile, Thorguna's body was being prepared for burial. Thorguna had requested to be buried in a Christian church, so Thurid and her husband arranged for men to take her body down to one of the few churches they knew on Iceland, down in Skalholt. It would be a long journey, over 200 miles, but the men tasked for the duty knew they could rely on the generosity of local farmers. What they were doing was a holy and honorable duty in Iceland. It would be the worst of hospitality, not to mention bad luck, to refuse men bearing a corpse for burial, room and board for the night. And throughout the trip, most farmers opened their homes gladly to the men, 
giving them food and comfortable beds each night before they journeyed on in the morning. Now, as they made their way south, the weather got worse. It was late autumn, after all, and the winds and rain grew heavier as they got closer to Skalholt. One particularly nasty evening, the men arrived with Thorguna's body at a small farm. The men were soaked through, but the farmer of the house, a suspicious and miserly sort, refused to host them. The men would have gladly ridden on to the next farm, but it was a day's ride, at least. And there was no sleeping outside, not in this rain. So the men had no choice. They left the horses and the coffin in the farmer's storehouse and entered the farmhouse anyway. You see, Icelandic houses were big things, almost like halls. There weren't rooms, really, apart from a central bedroom for the owners of the house, as well as maybe a larder or other place to store food like cured meats, dried fish, and cheese. A central fire kept the big room warm, and along the side ran benches where during the day people worked. A house wasn't just for a husband or wife, but usually all their farm workers as well, along with any guests that were staying the night, with folks bedding down either on the floor or on those side benches. So it wasn't unusual for the men to slip inside and join the number already sleeping on the floor. And so they did, stripping off as much of their wet clothes as they could, and they huddled by the central fire, trying to sleep. Which is when things got, well, a little weird. Not long after the household had fallen asleep, everyone from the miserly farmer and his wife, to the men huddled by the fire, to the other farmhands asleep in the main room, everyone was woken by a loud banging noise. It was coming from the larder. Thinking some kind of animal had broken in, bears were still occasionally seen on the island at the time, the men crept quietly up to the storeroom, hoping to scare off whatever was snacking on the farmer's food. But when they opened the larder, they didn't find a wolf or a bear or any other animal. Instead, there stood Thorguna, in not a stitch of clothing. She was scanning the shelves of the larder, rifling through the farmer's winter stocks. In her hands, she held meats and crocks of cheese and thickened yogurt. The farmer and his wife considered their options. On one hand, this was their winter store, the food that would help them get through the coming season. On the other hand, well, you try telling a dead woman to let go of your cheese. But clearly, Thoraguna didn't just have a small late-night snack in mind. She piled the last of the fresh beef on a plate, leaving only the slowly fermenting boiled beef for winter behind. See, to keep meat edible through the long winter, farmers used sour whey to ferment any leftover meat. With salt too pricey to use on curing, the lactic acid from the whey could keep meat from rotting for months, if not years. The whey's acid gave a sour taste to meat. Icelanders knew it as the taste of winter. But, it had to be said, it did keep protein in their diets until spring. Thorguna also helped herself to pots of skier, along with a hearty helping of dried cod. She even took a bit of Icelandic moss the farmer's wife had stored away. 
Now, in the summer months, you could find the moss all over the island. And this wasn't the dark green moss of thick woodlands, but more woody in color, at times even gray or white. Hard to chew and bitter, it was a great thickener for porridges and bread, when access to wheat or grain was scarce and expensive. Her plateful, Thorguna left the larder and headed to the fire. She hooked up a large cooking pot and began to make a hearty stew. Soon its aromas were drifting through the longhouse, and not long after, everyone was standing by watching the dead woman cook a meal. And despite the unusual chef, it had to be said, the food looked delicious. When the stew was done, Thorguna stood over the fire, ladle at the ready. Clearly, at least to Thorguna, it was time to eat. Well, what would you do in such a situation? Particularly if you had just carried a dead body for the last several days through wind and rain and had gone to bed without any dinner. But at the same time, did you really want that dead body cooking your dinner? Who knew what kind of curse or spell was bound up in food cooked by a dead woman? The men, the farmer, and his wife stood awkwardly by the side of the fire for a moment. It was clear Thorguna wasn't going anywhere. But neither was the food. The would-be diners looked at each other, and then at the farmer. Thorguna all the while hadn't said a word, but figuring out that she had intended to provide the hospitality the farmer had denied her corpse's bearers, well, it didn't take a genius. But the food had still been prepared in the farmer's home, using the farmer's supplies. And protocol insisted that the men were only welcome at the table if they had been invited by the head of the home. Ghost chef or no ghost chef? Thankfully, it seemed, the farmer had taken the hint. He quickly welcomed the men to the table, offering his hospitality for as long as they needed it. It wasn't exactly a magic spell, and the farmer wasn't even particularly eloquent as he said it, but then it's hard to be Shakespeare in front of a dead naked woman. But whatever the farmer said, it did the trick. Thorguna put down the ladle and walked out the farmhouse door, out into the rain, and presumably back to her coffin in the storehouse. Everyone agreed there was no sense in letting good food go to waste, even if a ghost had prepared it. But just in case, they made the sign of the cross over the food and had the farmer sprinkle a little holy water around, but then sat themselves down and dined on food Thorguna had left for them. And everyone agreed, ghost or no ghost, a woman could cook. And either they knew something we didn't, or they were the luckiest corpse bearers in Iceland. But the food didn't trouble them one bit. After the meal was finished, they, the farmer and his wife, all went back to sleep in the farmhouse. In the morning, well rested, the corpse bearers went back to the storehouse where they had left Thorguna's body. And no one was quite sure what they'd find. Would she be up and walking around, preparing breakfast? But no, there she was, lying in her coffin, just as they had left her last night. It was as if she had never moved at all. The farmer and his wife bade a warm, if slightly overly enthusiastic farewell to the corpse bearers as they resumed their journey to Skalholt, 
with Orgune and her coffin safely strapped to their wagon. And for the rest of the journey, they found welcoming and generous hospitality wherever they went. Now, it may just have been the power of gossip, but once word spread about their morbid meal, no one was willing to deny the men hospitality. So they ate and drank well, enjoying the finest beds in each of the homes they stopped at until finally arriving at the church at Skalholt. There, as instructed, they donated the goods Thorguna had asked before her death to be given to the church, and there in the churchyard, Thorguna was buried. Of course... When the priest at Skaholt had asked if there had been any trouble on the journey, the men had lied and said everything had gone smoothly. No sense in troubling the old priest. And I'd like to say that was the end of it, that the men returned home without incident and everyone went on, just as before. But you didn't forget about Thorguna's clothing, did you? Thorguna's clothing which she insisted be burned after her death, a promise the farmer had only half fulfilled which meant there were a few more bad times ahead for the farmer and the men who had carried Thorguna's corpse. Not long after they returned to the farm, they too died. Drowned in a fishing accident. But don't worry, it's not entirely a sad ending. When Thorut held a funeral feast in their honor, an ale-soaked event that could often last for days in Iceland, Everyone was more than a little surprised when the drowned farmer and his men decided to join the festivities. Sitting down in front of the fire, sopping wet, the farmer and his men drank more than their share of ale, helping themselves to the fine food Thorud had prepared for the funeral feast. But then again, they weren't bothering anyone. And who wouldn't like to attend their own wake, Tom Sawyer style? So in the end, the feast was a hit, Everyone agreed that the ale was the best of the year, and who could top a wake where the corpses themselves were the guests of honor? True, it took a bit to get the dead farmer and his men to leave after the festivities had ended, but all in all, a fine time was had by all. Now, there is much more to this story, and if you want, you can read all about it in the Arabic saga, or the saga of the people of Air. Much more happens as a result of Thorguna's scarlet red cloak, and actually with Thorguna and Thorud in general, Leif Erikson even pops up occasionally. So if you feel like a little light medieval reading, I'll put a link in the show notes to where you can track down some English translations of these great Icelandic texts. Otherwise, Unfortunately, our access to Icelandic moss is a little light up here in Toronto, so no recipes this time. But if you have had a chance to try it, we'd love to know what it tastes like. The Feast is written and produced by me, Laura Carlson. Technical direction by Mike Port. Thanks to everyone who has signed up for our monthly newsletter. Look out for those free historical recipes hitting your inboxes soon. And don't forget, you can request your very own story for an upcoming episode of The Feast by becoming a regular supporter at our Patreon page. Just head on over to patreon.com slash feastpodcast to sign up. Now, this is a limited time offer, so don't wait and help The Feast bring you great meals that made history. Music this week by Bekara Schmidt, Majcek Zolnowski, 
Songs of Norway, and Drone Monde. Find out about these great artists by visiting our show notes at www.thefeastpodcast.org. And that's all for us this week. We'll be back in two weeks' time when we'll travel down to Australia and New Zealand to discover the long and occasionally dark history of the pavlova. We'll even try to make a few meringues ourselves, including one recipe that doesn't use eggs at all. Join us as we explore the weird world of something called aquafaba. That's next time on The Feast. The Podglomerate, a sonic universe.